0: Well, I want to open um, this morning with a question, which is basically, what sort of things do we generally think unite people? What things bring people together in this world? Because I think there are quite a few things that can do that, can really bring people together. Nationality, the place where you're from, often brings people together. And so the Six Nations Rugby started yesterday, and a lot of people were, were supporting their various nations um, and yeah, that's one thing that can bring people together. Another thing is where you live. Um, where you live really defines a lot about you, so you get to the people near you. You can be united by similar interests, enjoying doing similar things. Or united by a similar background or a similar age. You can experience a lot of life together. That can bind us together. There are many different things that can do that. I remember one time when I lived up in the northeast of England, um, when Lily and I were driving into the centre of Newcastle. Um, We drove in on a Saturday afternoon, and basically we got totally caught up in a sea of black and white shirts everywhere on that Saturday afternoon. Because this Newcastle United's ground, St. James's Park, is right in the centre of the city of Newcastle, and on that day there was a game happening, and there were thousands of people united by their love for Newcastle United. And it was quite a striking thing, actually, all those people, different shapes, sizes, ages, coming together to support Newcastle. But of course, if you were in Newcastle on that Saturday and you were wearing a different coloured football shirt, you wouldn't be struck by that sense of unity, I think. What you would be struck by is just the fact that you were so different to all the other people around you. The black and white shirt for you wouldn't be something that united people. It would be something that maybe scared you off. Something that maybe said, these people aren't like me and I'll keep my distance. We see this morning as we come to act. Chapter 10. We're coming to a crucial turning point in the book of Acts when the early Christians were forced to ask the question what was it that really united them and made them a community of God's people? Because up to this point in the church's history, the vast majority of Christians were Jewish. And so what united many of them was their nationality, their racial background. So in Acts 10, The risen Jesus is challenging the early Jewish Christians that what they thought traditionally brought them together, their Jewishness, their obedience to the Old Testament law, was actually excluding non-Jewish people from hearing the good news of what Jesus had done in dying and rising again. And Acts 10 tells us that Jesus was not satisfied with that situation. Jesus wanted those early Christians to know that their traditions and history should not stop others from hearing the good news of Jesus and what he could do in the lives of Gentiles as well as Jews. So by sending a vision to the Apostle Peter, Jesus makes it clear that he has removed any ethnic or religious division that would keep people from trusting in him. Jesus is clear with Peter in this chapter. The way is now open for the world to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And I think there's a big question for us as we begin to look at this chapter this morning. Jesus is saying to Peter that he will not allow the prejudices and hang-ups of his people to stop the gospel spreading. And if we're honest, we need to ask the question, what unites us as a church? And does what unites us as a church exclude other people? from hearing about Jesus. See, often churches can unite around many things. Unite around a particular church tradition or history. Unite around a particular area of the country in which they meet. Unite around a particularly charismatic leader or leaders. Um, maybe some of the church defines themselves by what they're not. So basically, we're not like this church or we're not like the church over there. You see, Acts 10, I the rest of the Bible challenges us to take a good long look at ourselves, to look at what unites us and what defines us as a group of people and then to ask the question, does that uniting factor help us or hinder us in telling others about Jesus? Does what unites us to one another actually exclude other people from hearing the Gospel? Because see, the challenge is that if we're united by anything else other than Jesus Christ and our faith in him, then what unites us will work to exclude other people from hearing about Jesus. And if that's the case for us as a church, then we need to change. We need to change what is bringing us together. You see, one thing that the book of Acts really strikes me with is that obeying the Great Commission, obeying that command of Jesus to go into all the world and tell people about him does not come naturally to sinful human beings. We've seen the last few weeks in our series in Acts how the early Christians are gradually taking the gospel of Jesus into their world. And back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus calls his disciples to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Acts chapter 2 to 7 describe how the early Christians acted as Jesus' witnesses in the city of Jerusalem. And then Acts 8 is the record of that gospel reaching out to Judea and Samaria. And then now, in chapter 10, we see the picture of the gospel reaching to the ends of the earth. The gospel reaching the Gentiles in the shape of Cornelius and his family. And again, I think we can see these are exciting chapters to read. They tell amazing stories of courage courage. And faith and obedience on the part of the early Christians. But as we saw last week, we sometimes have a danger of idolizing or idealizing these early Christians. When in fact, we have to see that they were ordinary, sinful human beings like us. And we're going to see in this chapter that Peter in particular struggles at first to listen to Jesus' command to treat Gentiles as he's been treating Jewish Believers, Peter has to struggle with his own prejudices and his own innate conservatism to see that Gentiles, like Cornelius, can respond to the gospel of Jesus in the same way as a Jewish man or woman could. And they can do that by trusting in Jesus Christ. Nothing more and nothing less. You see, Jesus has to transform the way Peter sees Gentiles here. So that Jesus can use Peter to share the gospel with them. And again, it's the same challenge for us when we look at this. Will we allow Jesus always to be transforming our thinking? Will we listen to Jesus and allow him to change us as we look at this chapter? And will we recognise that the only thing that should unite us as a group of Christians is Jesus Christ himself, not any of the trimmings we add to Jesus? So, we're looking at Acts chapter 10 here, this morning. And first of all, I want you to look a bit at Cornelius, the man who Peter is being sent to. Because basically, we're going to see Jesus at work in the life of Cornelius here. So first of all, in verses 1 to 8 of chapter 10, we've got Cornelius introduced to us. I'll just read verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. So Cornelius here, he's a Roman, and he is a devout and God-fearing man, verse 2 tells us. And Luke goes to some detail in introducing Cornelius, because he knows just how important this man is in the history of the church. See, this is the first Gentile who will hear the gospel and believe without first having to become a Jew. And we can imagine that Cornelius would have been of particular importance to Theophilus, the person that looks writing the book of Acts to. Because like Cornelius, Theophilus was almost certainly a well-off Roman citizen. And if Theophilus himself had become a Christian by the time he's read the book of Acts, he would have seen something of himself in his description of Cornelius here. So according to Luke's description of him, Cornelius is either a generally religious man or he could already be a believer in the God of the Jews. But either way, Cornelius, we're told, was spiritually open to God. And in some ways, we can see him as a marked contrast to Saul in Acts chapter 9, where Saul was a hardened, violent persecutor of Christians. Cornelius, we're told, gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. So if Cornelius was a believer in the God of the Jews, he hadn't yet fully converted though. Because later on in Acts 11... We have at touches. that Cornelius was not circumcised, with the result that a devout Jew like Peter could not visit his home without becoming ritually unclean. But in the end, at the beginning of Acts 10, it wasn't a devout Jew who visited Cornelius. It was actually an angel of God. Just read verses 3 to 8 here. One day at about 3 in the afternoon, Cornelius had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants And a devout soldier, who was one of his attendants, he told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. So Cornelius wastes no time once the angel's gone. He sends two of his servants and a soldier immediately to Joppa to bring Peter to his home. See, Jesus is preparing the way for the good news of forgiveness and new life through him to reach Cornelius. And as so often in the Bible, God does that through sending an angel to meet Cornelius here. You see, in the New Testament alone, angels were often used by God to announce momentous moments in the life of God's dealing with his people. So, the birth of John the Baptist was announced by an angel. The birth of Jesus was announced by angels. The resurrection of Jesus was announced by angels. So, angels are God's special messengers in Scripture. And they're entrusted with these key turning points and telling us about them. So an angel of God prepares the way for Cornelius to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. But we need to see something really important here. The angel comes to Cornelius. The angel tells Cornelius to send for Peter. But you'll notice that the angel himself does not share the good news with Cornelius. You see, that privilege is reserved for Peter, is reserved for a human being. And I think that's quite a striking insight into how God chooses to share his gospel with this world. He doesn't do it through angels. He does it through people. People who have themselves heard the good news of Jesus, who have themselves put their trust in Jesus, and who are sent by him into the world to act as his witnesses. So we've been hearing already this morning about various missions that are going on at the minute. We've got the church mission at the end of this month, Legacy. We've got the OIQ mission kicking off this week. And if you're a Christian here this morning, and you think about missions, about evangelism, you might sometimes wish that God did use angels to tell people about Jesus. And certainly he could if he wanted to. See, when we think of the different people who do share the gospel of Jesus. We think of angry street preachers shouting at people on Corn Market. Or we think of limp vicars on Thought for the Day just just doing winsome little things that really don't mean anything. We think, well, surely an angel would do it so much better. And then we think of our own efforts to love and serve our friends. We think of times when we have been totally lost for words when someone has asked us about what it is we believe in. We realize there have been times when our lives have been completely indistinguishable from our non-Christian friends, family, colleagues. And we just think, why doesn't God use angels to share the good news of Jesus? Surely an angel would get people listening. Surely an angel would be hard to ignore. Surely an angel would know what to say. But instead of angels... Jesus calls human beings like you and me to be his witnesses. And in many ways, we don't seem half as promising as messengers of God as this angel in Acts 10. After all, we are fallen people. We're proud so often. We're prejudiced sometimes. We're so often foolish people. In fact, on so many levels, we are just like the Apostle Peter who Jesus is going to send Cornelius you see that's what Jesus chooses to do in his sovereign wisdom he calls fallen people like Peter like you and me to share the gospel with those around us and later in Acts chapter 10 verse 26 if you want to turn to that when he finally meets Peter Cornelius makes the mistake of falling at Peter's feet in reverence he wants to show respect to God's messenger but then Peter replies to him in verse 26 Stand up I am only a man myself. And you see that's the attitude we all need to have. God has chosen not to use angels to tell people about himself. He's chosen to use ordinary sinful people like us. We are only human. We are only men and women who make mistakes who often get things wrong. But Jesus chooses us because through us, Jesus will get all the glory when people understand who he is. See, if Jesus chose to use angels all the time, we'd be tempted to worship the messengers rather than seeing that it's the message that has divine power to change us. See, the the question is, who is going to receive the glory when we tell people about Jesus? And if people can see how flawed and imperfect we are, then it's going to be Jesus. Just as Jesus receives the glory in Acts 10 here. So I just want, sometimes on a Sunday morning, just take the opportunity to look around at one another and think, these are the people that God has chosen to spread the gospel in this world. To tell people how to be made right with God through Jesus. If you were a Christian this morning, you can think back to people maybe who played a very important role in you coming to faith. Thank God for them. But also realize that it was God who was bringing you to faith, not that person. And again, the fact that they were an ordinary human being shows that, shows that the glory belongs to Jesus. So basically that first part of Acts 10 reminds us that we actually are God's angels, because we are God's messengers. That's what an angel means—a messenger of God. And Jesus calls us to tell others about Him from our positions of weakness and frailty and humanity, because that is how Jesus works, and that is how Jesus brings glory to Himself. So in verses one to eight, then Jesus prepares the ground for His message, and then in verses nine to twenty-three. Jesus prepares the messenger for what's about to happen. Now I want us to see here that the fact that it's Peter that Jesus chooses to give the gospel to the Gentiles is deeply significant. See, we all need to think back to the gospels and how they portray Peter to see that Peter is basically a picture of every Christian who struggles sometimes to understand just who Jesus is and to grasp the enormity of Jesus' grace. See, Peter was often the spokesman for the first disciples, And again and again in the Gospels, we see Peter misunderstanding Jesus, and again and again getting things wrong in his efforts to obey Him and please him. See also frequently, Peter completely misses the point of what Jesus is doing. And in this, he's a picture of all of us. So we all need to continually listen to Jesus, and to check our attitudes and actions to see that we understand who Jesus is. See, otherwise, like Peter, we're going to go through our lives continually missing the point about Jesus. And like Peter, we may struggle to grasp the amazing things that Jesus wants to do through us. Because in Acts 10, that's what Peter does. He has this vision of this sheet coming down from heaven in verses Ten onwards. I'll just read that for a bit. Peter became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down on earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back into heaven. See, the vision that Peter has here is a bizarre one. It's a vivid one. And it's a vision that's going to change the whole future direction of the Christian church. In his hunger, Peter falls into a trance waiting for a meal. And in that state, heaven provides a vision for him. A sort of a a mixed grill that any Jew would have to run a mile from before eating. See, these four-footed animals, these reptiles, these birds described in verse 12, they're all unclean animals according to the law that God had given to Moses in Leviticus 11. So, when the voice from heaven tells Peter to get up, kill, and eat, Peter is appalled. See, to eat this food would make Peter impure, unclean, and that is the last thing Peter wants. And it is hard for us to grasp the enormity of what God is asking Peter to do here. See, for a Jewish believer like Peter, avoiding this food was his worship to God, it was sincerely offered. It was basically saying that God was his God and he wanted to live for him. See, what this vision challenges Peter about is that the God who once said those foods were unclean is able to make those foods clean when he sends Jesus into this world. You see, the God who made that food unclean is doing something new in Jesus. And he's destroying the old divisions between Jew And Gentile between circumcised and uncircumcised. And as a result, he is opening the way for the gospel to go to the nations. Because you see, the whole issue of this relationship between Jew and Gentile was a really live one in the early church. See, Jesus' command to make disciples of all nations could not have been understood in any other way than that Gentiles did need to hear the gospel. And the early Jewish Christians accepted that. But for most of them, before Acts 10... Their understanding of that was that a Gentile could respond to the gospel only if he or she first became a Jew. They would need to be circumcised. They would need to begin obeying the food laws of Leviticus. See, that was what a good Christian would do. So for the Jewish Christians, that was how it would work. The Gentiles had to change before they could hear the gospel. But you see, what God is showing Peter here is that he's wrong in that. The way is now open for Gentiles. The good news is that Jesus is now available to all people, not just Jew, but Gentile. As long as that Gentile is willing to trust in Jesus. You see, the early Christians were putting a burden on the Gentiles. They were telling they had to change before they were ready. To hear this good news. And you see, what God had to do in this vision is to clear the ground for that, to show Peter he was wrong, and to show Peter the gospel was open to all because of what Jesus had done. See, that's a massive shift in God's dealings with humanity. And God really goes to great lengths to make sure Peter gets the message. So, again, three times the sheet comes down from heaven. Three times the voice from heaven offers the unclean animals to Peter. Three times Peter protests, but then three times the voice says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. So that Gentiles can now hear the gospel without converting and becoming Jews. So, what does all this have to do with us? We've already acknowledged the distinction between clean and unclean food, between circumcised and uncircumcised, they're very alien distinctions to us. And the fact that they are alien, the fact that we don't have to think about these things anymore, well, we can actually thank Peter's vision here in Acts 10. Again, the vast majority of Christians in this room are Gentiles, are non-Jews. And yet we now know that God accepts us through what Jesus has achieved on the cross. We are free from the demands of the Old Testament law and life is so much freer as a result of that. So Jesus has brought Jew and Gentile together as a result of this vision. But as we watch Peter struggle to understand the full extent of what Jesus has done as we watch Peter hold on to his old prejudices at first to say surely not Lord then we need to acknowledge that Christians today can still erect barriers to people believing in Jesus, to people hearing the gospel. See, for Peter and the Jewish Christians, it was circumcision. They're very happy for people, for Gentiles, to hear the gospel as long as they become Jews first. And as Christians today, we can all too easily fall into a similar trap. See, we're very happy for people to come and hear about Jesus, as long as they're willing to sign up to our way of life first. As long as they're willing to adapt to our culture first. As long as they're willing to dress the way we do. As long as they're willing to fulfil our obligations on top of their faith in Jesus. So I was thinking about more than root as I was doing this and. I don't think we do place too many requirements on people who come to faith with us here or on Christians who want to join us from other churches. But it's so difficult to tell sometimes. Peter couldn't see the prejudices he was holding on to were not from God any longer. And it's the same with us. We need to take a good long look at ourselves. We need to recognise that the attitude Peter has here is never far away from any church And the only way of guarding against it is making sure that the one thing that unites us, the one thing that binds us together, is faith in Jesus. Pure and simple. Nothing more, nothing less. Because ultimately, nothing else matters. See, if someone trusts in Jesus, then we are called to welcome them. The way that Peter is called to go to Cornelius and welcome him. And if someone wants to become a Christian, then we need to be clear with them that the only thing that matters is that they trust in Jesus' death for them and in his forgiveness and grace offered to them. See, Peter in this chapter is both a warning and an encouragement to us. He's a warning to us because he's so slow on the uptake as so often we are. See, Peter has spent three years with Jesus. He had seen Jesus die on the cross and he had seen Jesus rise again. He'd received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and done amazing things in Jesus' name. But here, he still needs Jesus to transform his prejudices and his understanding of the gospel again and again and again. See, this is near the end of Acts' description of Peter's life. From Acts 13, the focus shifts to the life of Paul. You see, even at this stage of his life, even at this time of Peter's maturity, Peter still needs to listen to Jesus and to be changed by Jesus. Peter needs to check himself against the words of Jesus. And if he's wrong in his understanding of the Gospel, as he is here, then he needs to repent and to change direction. See, when Peter says, surely not, Lord, in verse 14, he's echoing words he said to Jesus when Jesus was on the earth. In Matthew 16, when Jesus predicted his death on the cross, Peter took Jesus to one side and said, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And then later on in the upper room, just the night before Jesus is crucified, Jesus gets up to wash his disciples' feet to wash their feet as they sit there. And Peter protests. He says, No, Lord, you shall never wash my feet. See, in both instances, Peter got it badly wrong. In his desire to honour Jesus and give him the dignity Peter thought he deserved, Peter had missed the point. That Jesus had to die on the cross. Even though he was God's king, that was what he'd come to do that Jesus wanted to wash his feet as a symbol of the forgiveness that Jesus was going to purchase on the cross the following day. And likewise here in Acts 10, Peter at first thinks he knows better than Jesus. Somehow he presume that Jesus had forgotten the distinction between clean and unclean. So he says, surely not, Lord. He tries to point out to Jesus the error of his ways. Peter's a warning to us here. Because are we ever guilty of a similar attitude? Do you ever wish Jesus would do things differently? That if only you did things your way, life would be so much easier. Do you ever wish that Jesus would stop placing such great demands on you to humble yourself, to care for the poor and the downtrodden, to challenge the proud and the powerful. She ever wished Jesus was more respectful of people like you? People like you who are good people, who shouldn't have to change all the time, who shouldn't have to look at their hearts and repent all the time. She ever wished Jesus acted more like a king? Because that's what Peter wished in his dealings with, with Jesus. And Peter needed to be confronted about that. Did you ever come to church and wish that Jesus had a stricter entrance policy? That church would be so much more attractive if Jesus only let in the good looking, the rich, the intelligent to follow him. I'm not insulting you all, by the way. But instead, Jesus invites frail and messed up and broken and sinful people like you and me into his family. And he does that because of his grace. Because it's people like that who can recognize their need of Him. And who cry out to Him for forgiveness and help. See, if we have higher standards than Jesus, then we are in real trouble. If we dismiss people that Jesus would have welcomed, we are in grave danger. Peter here before Jesus showed him the error of his ways, had fallen into that trap. He thought he knew better than Jesus who could really approach God. Who could have a relationship with God? But Peter needed to change his thinking. See, Peter is a warning to us. Never presume that you've arrived. Never presume that you understand fully the gospel of Jesus and what it means. To follow him. Because even at this stage in Peter's life, Peter has new things to learn. Remarkable things to learn about God and about Jesus. And it's the same for us. We will always have new things to learn. Old attitudes to say goodbye to. So that we are being transformed by Jesus every day of our lives. Jesus never stops wanting to change us and transform us into the people he has called us to be. See, we need to recognise our constant need of Jesus' grace and his transforming power if we are to be faithful people of Jesus' So we've got a mission coming up we've already thought about that this morning, legacy and I hope we're praying for that as a church and we may have contact with difficult people during that fortnight See, are we prepared for that or will we want to exclude them Because we think we know the sort of people Jesus wants in his family. See, what we learn from Peter here, that our thinking needs to be transformed, just as his was. So Peter is a warning to us, but he's also, I think, an encouragement to us. See, we see clearly here that Jesus never gives up on Peter. Peter keeps on getting things wrong throughout his life, with Jesus, but Jesus never wavers in his commitment to transform Peter into the man he called him to be. Peter messed up again and again, but Jesus keeps on teaching him and training him in his ways and in his gospel of grace. See, Jesus transformed Peter by his spirit and by his word, and Jesus can transform us too. It can feel like a slow process. Sometimes we can long for Jesus to change us sooner than he does. But even when we are slow learners, there is still hope. Jesus does not give up on us because he wants us to understand who he is and the extent of his grace and his mercy. So through this vision, Jesus teaches Peter that the Gentiles too are ready to hear the gospel. Peter learns this lesson and he travels to meet Cornelius. Cornelius. And that's verses 23 to 48. Jesus welcomes the world. And there's a lot that could be said here. We've only got time for one thing. Basically looking at verse 33, as we see Cornelius described here. Cornelius says, So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. See, the one thing I want us to see from Cornelius this morning, Is that he's so eager to hear the gospel. See, he's longing to hear what Peter has to say to him. Even before Peter opens his mouth, Cornelius just wants to hear what it is Peter has to say. And when Peter does tell Cornelius this message of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, in verse 44 to 46, something amazing happens. Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. see, Cornelius here was ready to hear the gospel, and when he heard it, he responded with faith and with joy. And the encouragement for us this morning is that there are Corneliuses in Oxford today. There are people in Oxford who are longing to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. There are people in Oxford in whom God has been working, preparing the ground, and who are ready and willing for us to tell them about Jesus. We might know them already. They might be friends of ours. We might not know them, Yes. Yeah. But we can be encouraged that God is working in this city and that He's calling people to Himself just as He did in Acts chapter 10. And all He asks from us is a willingness to go and share Jesus with them. So we may or may not see people come to faith as a result of legacy. We may or may not see every person we pray for in the coming weeks come to trust in Jesus in the time that we know them. But we can know that God is calling people to himself and he invites us to be used by him in that, to experience the joys as well as the frustrations of telling others about Jesus and to enjoy that immense privilege of being used by God to bring people into relationship with him. God used Peter foolish stubborn prejudiced Peter to bring the gospel to the Gentiles and God can use us today to share our faith with the people around us so let's praise God for that and thank him for that privilege let's bow our heads and pray together let's pray